Welcome to the Good Employer Podcast with me, Emma Del Torto. Each episode of this podcast, I will be chatting to a guest about various aspects of people management within organisations. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you inspiring stories and experiences to demonstrate that being a good employer can be the solution and doesn't need to be complicated. I'll be chatting to my guests to share their stories of the ordinary and extraordinary things that can pop up in business to challenge you when you're at the helm. My guest on the podcast this week is Kirsty Bags Morgan. Kirsty and I covered lots of ground, so much so that we have split the episode into two parts. Kirsty is a seasoned HR director with international experience in delivering strategic HR to corporations. She currently uses her skills and experience and wears three hats, but I will let her tell us more about that herself. I'm excited for you to hear from my guest. So let's get started. Welcome, Kirsty. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Good Employer podcast. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions about yourself and hopefully we'll learn more about you and your journey in HR. And I'm really intrigued to learn about um, your opinions about HR today and also the future of HR. So uh, I'd love to know a little bit about how you, how you got started and how you found yourself in your career in HR. Um, by accident, which is sure, I'm sure you've heard this before from people. It's, um, I mean, when I, when I graduated university, I did a, I did a degree in media studies and sociology. Um, I don't think you could do degrees in HR back then. And I don't think I even knew what it was. So I came out of university, um, initially got a job as an office manager for a telecoms consultancy. And part of what they did was help clients set up call centers. This is back in the mid 90s, where everybody wanted a call center. And so we would get a briefing to go somewhere in the country. I think one of the ones I did was for Nationwide in Swindon, um, and did one for Safeway supermarkets up in Sunderland. Um, and they were hiring 80 people for their call center. So the consultants would take me along to help out with those recruitment days. And I'd do manage the assessment centers, make sure that the candidates got from A to B. So I guess that was where my first experience of anything people recruitment related started started looking into it did my CIPD moved to Deutsche Asset Management in 1998 into my first HR role and then spent 25 years working in financial services HR so you can there's a you know you can just kind of jump forward 25 years from there so that that was how it started and when you when you first started in your job you see you started um, learning about recruitment what did you? What was your opinion of the recruitment practices? Or perhaps this is, you know, uh, great to have a, sort of the benefit of hindsight. If you reflected back on the recruitment practices of the '90s, how do you think they are comparing with today? I feel like, and it may just be the companies that I worked with. I feel like we used to use a lot of tests and skills-based tests. It always used to put people through like an intray exercise or um, numerical reasoning. I had to do once for an HR role, and I remember thinking, I've never really needed to use that. But I feel like tests were used a lot more back then. And then I guess over time, you started to see the onset of more competency-based interviewing and just getting people to talk about their experiences and what they'd actually done. Um, a lot of it was based on education back then as well. Like not just where you, what you did at university, but where you went to university. Um, that may be just an old school financial services thing, but uh, 
I feel like it's become a lot more candidate focused um, over the years that I've been working in the field. It was all very much a one-way process for the employer back then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's changed quite a lot. And what do you think, and so you've moved from um, a basis, you know, sort of basis in recruitment really into uh, more strategic, doing more strategic thing, mm. things. Do you think that, do you think that having started, I, I'm going to say started at the bottom, um, do you think that's given you a really good grounding? Yes, but the biggest grounding I got was I did a standalone HR role fairly early on. So I cut my teeth at Deutsche doing an HR generalist role, and that was great. But obviously, enormous organisation didn't have to touch anything like benefits, pension, payroll. And then I went and did a standalone role when I was about 27 um, for a stockbroking company and set up their HR department from scratch. And that is where I feel like I learned pretty much everything that I then took further because I had to set up payroll. I had to set up an HR database. I had to decide what benefits we were going to have and go out there and implement them. And I so I got my hands dirty in areas of HR that a lot of generalists don't actually ever touch, especially if they stay in large organizations. So I think I attribute more of it to the small organizational standalone piece than to starting at the bottom, as it were. I mean that sounds like a baptism of fire, really, and yeah, you know absolutely. it's you know it's uh, and I can relate to it because the the size of our client base, um, a lot of the a lot of the companies that we look after might have one standalone HR person mm-hmm. um, who who are actually trying to fulfil uh, probably about five different roles. Yeah. Um, and what was the most useful thing that you learned, or the most useful support that you had in that in that role? I think having a really good relationship with the finance director at that time, he was fantastic in terms of, even though he didn't have any background in HR, he really tried to understand what the business needed. And so it was one of the really difficult things about doing a standalone role in HR is that you don't have anyone with more HR experience to learn from. Um, And and something I come across now with a lot of my coaching clients, but he really tried and he was... um, great person to as a mentor even though he didn't have an HR background he was great in terms of discussing ideas with him and kind of bouncing things around and a sounding board I think that's one of that that's absolutely essential when you're when you're the only one you gotta have somebody that you can kind of kick ideas around with yeah no no I think that's I think that's I think that's really um that's really relevant you know the sounding board and I think it's also about recognizing what you don't know you know, yes. and then being being willing to ask questions or go or, or go for extra support um, yeah. wherever it, it might be, um, be it FD or CEO, um, and of course legal as well. Good, rela- you know, HR often has a good relationship with um, with legal, yes, um, and relies heavily on legal as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Legal finance home. marketing have always been my my buddies. Um, usually with marketing, it's like fighting over who's not going to organize a Christmas party, but, um, cause there's the sort of internal comms piece that overlaps there as well. So I've, I've had some, you know, to this day, I've got great friends, um, people who've become friends that were ex-colleagues from marketing or finance or legal that I've stayed in touch with. Um, but it's interesting there, what you said about, um, recognizing what you don't know, that's, as you were saying that it popped into my head that at that point in my career, 
I kind of knew I didn't know much and I was perfectly relaxed about it. I think as we get older, we develop so many more hangups about what we don't know. And I think I have so many conversations with people who are like, oh God, what if people realize that I don't know that? But when you're when you're just starting out, there's much more acceptance of the things that you don't know. Um, you get to a point where you start judging yourself for the things you don't know, but that didn't happen back then. So that was, it was a, it was a good positive learning curve. I mean, I, th- I, I think it's really important. I mean, I, I'd be the first to admit there's so much that I don't know. Mm. Um, even though I've been, you know, in running this business for 11 years. And then before that I was a lawyer. Um, and I just love the whole learning process. And I'm, and, and I'm also always, um, quick to be the one who holds up my hands and go okay I was wrong yeah Um, I think you know sort of having some humility is really important um and um you know I'm really interested in what you're saying about that you know having a mentor uh in an organization Mm. um and it's you know it's really about um about feeling safe as well you know this whole buzzy uh the terminology that we're that's quite new to HR about psychological safety Mm -hmm. you know to go to, to be able to go to somebody to be able to talk um, you know, to, to be able to talk things through is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Especially early on. Absolutely. And to be able to make mistakes. Um, and I think that's part of the psychological safety, as we would call it now. It's like, you know, I've I've made some clangers in my time. You know, you, you don't always get everything right first time. Sometimes you, you make a massive screw up and then you have to try and unpick it. But it's being able to do that without fear. Um yeah. And invariably, the consequences aren't too huge in an HR role. It's very rarely a life or death situation, but it, these things can get blown up in out of all proportion. And I have worked for organisations where there wasn't that space to make mistakes. It was much more cutthroat than that. And so that's something I think as you're developing in your career is really important to have. No, I think that's I think that's really true. And I think it's, um, it, you know, most often it's really just about money isn't it True. you know uh, un, it's about unraveling okay you know hands up made a mistake what's the damn you know what's the how can we mitigate this yeah uh, and what can we do to sort it out and um i always think that you know because because part a lot of our business is about assisting people to not make the mistakes right mm-hmm. uh, and that's and you know that's how i that's my perception as a role of uh, strategic hr i'd be really interested to know you know what you think about 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 the role of HR today, um, and uh, and also the role of um, the role that we play in organisations in providing stra- like strategy mm. um, as well. You know, really, um, is it about stopping people make mistakes? Is it about you know, is it about po- you know positive stuff, um, looking to the future? What do you think? What do you think our role is? This is a, that's that's such a fascinating question, and I could probably talk for weeks about what our role is, um, because everybody's got a different view of it. Um, and in the twenty-five years that I've worked in HR, it's gone from personnel to human resources, and now there's more of a push towards calling it people and culture rather than HR. And you know, it's not just about the name. Um, there was actually a wonderful post on LinkedIn this morning where somebody had tried to highlight the differences between a people-focused department and what we would traditionally call HR. Um, 
unfortunately, the, the, the industry and all of the people working in HR will have a view of where we would like to be and what we would like to offer. But we are continuously working with people who don't have that background, haven't done their CIPD, don't have a darn clue what an HR business partner is or what difference people and culture is with HR. And so the, some of the biggest battles that we have are in helping the non-HR people that we work with to understand how we would like to make a difference in the business and how we would like to operate within our roles. Unfortunately, we quite often come across very strong-willed people at the top of the organization. You have to be strong-willed if you're going to be a CEO. You have to be, I get it. But some of these people, and I've worked with several, have very, very fixed views of what HR is there to do. And so if you find yourself in an environment where your CEO thinks it's an admin function that does a bit of recruiting and or you know hiring and firing, it, it's difficult to then make the impact that you want to because that's the biggest barrier that you've got to overcome. Where would I like it to be? I think what I'm seeing from a lot of startups with very forward-thinking, people-focused founders that's what I would like HR to be. It should be co-leading the strategy with the business, not just implementing a strategy that somebody else has decided. So we've always talked about HR strategy. I'm doing inverted commas with my hands here. We've always talked about HR strategy almost as if it's a standalone, but actually it's just the people elements of the business strategy. And there isn't a single business strategy out there that doesn't involve people because you can't have a company without people in it. So I feel like we should be having those conversations from the outset. We should be determining the path forward with the business, not just adding on our part afterwards. So I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is we talk about integration. We talk about HR strategy being aligned with the business strategy, but that still makes it sound separate. You just want to be responsible for setting the people elements or overseeing the people implications or considering them in the strategy that the business builds does that make sense no it makes perfect sense and it's absolutely music to my ears as well and I um uh we're not recording the film version of this um but you would have seen me um smiling um when you say when you describe the CEOs as strong-willed because actually I think that's you know, very diplomatically put. I was being really polite there. You really were, you really were, yeah. And um, and I know, uh, and I probably shouldn't admit this on here, but I get phenomenally frustrated sometimes um, when, um, when I'm having to, I, I'm giving this advice and it, it's not being listened to, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and then and then equally um, delighted when we are able to have an impact on an organisation where yeah. they've understood it or they understand it already. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're you're I mean, you know you're absolutely right. I think um, the values of an organisation has to be consistent. You know, and 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 you know you mentioned also about marketing and communication, and there's the you know there's the outward an inward communication piece and they are they have to be aligned mm-hmm. uh, and they have to be consistent and uh and, you know because no one is in this day and age no one's gonna believe an organization where there is a lack of consistency and I think that's that's you know that's what we're you know when we talk about um having organizational values um they really have to mean it not just have the words on the wall oh on, my on their fancy literature I honestly, if I see honesty and integrity as core values, one more time, I I worked for about a year or so as an HR consultant. So I had the advantage of going into lots of different companies and 
the values people again it's it's the word values and what you actually mean by it so if you if you to me honesty and integrity are a baseline because no one's going to stand up and say you know we're dishonest at our core we're a dishonest company and we have no integrity no one's going to say that everybody wants to be thought of as those two things so yes they're important and we should you know we should absolutely live by you know honesty and integrity but i don't th- i think that you're if you're going to go to the effort of having company values they need to be what differentiate you from other companies what makes it different about working here compared with any other company down the road that i could have applied for a job at and some companies are getting really good at doing this like they're really well thought out some are going um trying to be a little bit wacky with theirs and putting swear words in and things like that you see that a lot in the tech sector there was a company i um worked with briefly the other about two years ago and one of their values was get done which made me smile sorry if I shouldn't have said that word <laughs> no the um, swearing is totally be... allowed if Steve Bartlett can swear on his podcast so can we fair but if they actually had get done as a value and I thought okay it's a little bit kooky but I kind of like it I know what they're trying to say and they're also saying by by putting that out there on the website they're just saying look we're just talking normal language we don't you know we, we we're, we're not going to sugarcoat it we're not gonna use you know fancy language about so just like what is it like to work here and that's usually when I would do values exercises as a consultant with different organizations that would be the starting point for the question what is it like to work here if you were describing it to someone who doesn't work it here what is different about this place compared with where you've worked in the past but then we have to we have to live by those and like you said putting a poster on the wall does absolutely nothing in the long run like tick box we've done values well it's also I mean I'm not going to go on about uh, <laughs> investors in people because that makes my um the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end as well you know, tick, you know mentioning tick box exercise mm. um but it's also if you have honesty and integrity caring and loving or whatever your values are and then you you know actually you're picking off the low-hanging fruit by wanting to sack the pregnant women uh, or make them those redundant first and the first wave of redundancy or whatever it is whatever oh you know pick God, off the yes. most vulnerable you know yeah um those don't they're, they're not a lot that that's that's an obvious um misalignment with yeah. your values right or perceived yeah. values or so-called values so it's that that you know that does um that does get me get me a little bit annoyed I, I, I'm sensing that that you you experience that as well I think people nowadays as well have much more well-tuned bullshitometers and we can all tell now I don't know if it's because I've been around the block a few times because I've worked for so long or but I actually think the younger generation are pretty tuned into that and they don't want to be joining a second family they don't want to be you know, they don't want the disloyalty, family, those sorts of things. That's not necessarily what people want from their company now. They want to be treated like adults, um, given autonomy, given the opportunity to use their skills and have open and honest communication. And that's where I think, I don't know, I just think I think people are just a lot more attuned to it and they see straight through all of that nonsense nowadays. I think they're consuming education in a completely different way as well. That's and, true. you know, this is, you know, the generation entering the workforce have been educated through the medium of tiktok mm-hmm. you know and some of the tiktok stuff is 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 right and you know it's sort of in in tiny little bite-sized chunks is you know has is has 
distilled learning messages. We don't want this, you know, to the work family that you just mentioned. You know, this is a, it's a workplace. You know, is it should it be called your work family? If that's most people right? don't get fired by their family or made well, redundant by their family. <laughs> some, people, some people do in some circumstances, right? But <laughs> but um, but no, I think it's I think it's um, there's also not this whole uh, attitude toward the job for life as well. Mm-hmm. I think the perception um, from certainly and not even my generation, you know, our generation. I think maybe our parents' generation was the, was the job for life. Yeah, um, and I think I think we've moved. We really have moved on from there. And I'm thinking, um, I'm loath to to quote Tony Blair, but I do remember him talking about, um, oh, you'll have four different careers in your life, and um, and I've just been reading uh, Second Mountain as well, which, um, which is which is a book about you know what, you know what happens you know that. that you've climbed the first mountain and now there's a second mountain right so um but um but yes yeah, so four different careers uh, mm. and i think that actually uh, my children's generation they're much they're much more flexible in their approach um and you know and they're the expectation i'm not sure what the expectation of the, of employers is but mm. it isn't about job it certainly isn't job for life no and it's yeah it's interesting i mean that mentality is still there with some people and it isn't a generational thing because, you know, I'm nearly 50 and there's people a lot younger than me that still hold very old fashioned views about length of service being a barometer for good performance and things like that. Now, I don't think I don't feel like that. I don't think that's true. So it isn't it isn't just a, a generational thing. But I do. I people people need to recognize as well that I think people are a lot more open minded um, and prepared to move on if they're not getting what they need from their company. Um, and I think the pandemic has had a big influence on that as well. It's like, hang on a minute, it's not working for me anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, it's just that, that something about the, the. Uh, I guess it's the whole, it's not just the working from home thing, but it's the, you know, the flexibility that we all had to have during the pandemic. The, um, the fact that it's given us more choice around when we go in and what we wear when we go to work and really fundamental things like that, that people have started questioning all the other rules that were there before. Um, yeah. And I'm all for it, all for it. I'd love to hear your opinion uh, about, you mentioned about you know clothes that we wear for work. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what you think about that because, you know, we... Um, when we're getting fewer inquiries about this, I think this is really noticeable. So uh, visible tattoos, visible piercings, what we wear, that we're not getting, we, you know, historically, I would say maybe five years ago, that was a common theme, mm-hmm. um, you know, advice about, about the, the, you know, the, the piercings. For example, if you're working in hospitality, if you have different colored hair or visible piercings, um, the hotels or restaurants were insisting that these things were hidden. And that the tattoos were hidden and covered up, um, and I just have this sense that that we've moved on considerably from that. I don't know. I don't know what you're what you're experiencing. Well, you're, you're talking to someone who's got two full sleeves and goodness knows how many other tattoos. I don't have a huge amount of piercings other than my ears, but um, I've always hated dress code. Hated it, you know. As, as somebody who, you know, I have gothic tendencies, um, I have never been able to dress how I want to dress at work, and I've always had to cover my tattoos at work. But then I worked in the City of London in financial services HR, and it's a very staid and slightly old-fashioned industry. 
they when I lived in Texas, we that was where we had all of the shipping guys and a lot of them were ex-Navy. So they were covered in tattoos, but I still had to cover up because I was in HR and it was different. And so well, and also a woman, probably. Well, God, don't even get me started on that one. But you know, that side of things, I mean, I I could not give a stuff what trousers you're wearing. I mean, I've worked in places where people have been sent home for wearing shorts. And it's like, what do you think is actually going to happen if their knees are showing? Seriously, or if they have the wrong kind of shoe. I mean, and bear in mind, I come from a background where, you know, when I started working in the city of London, God help you if you wore a brown suit. That was like the biggest, that was like coming to work in your knickers. You wore a brown suit as a man. It was just, oh, shocking. It had to be navy blue or black or grey at most, but not too light grey. I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, 10, 15 years before I started work, it was blooming bowler hats for crying out loud. So yes, things have changed massively. Um, I, at the moment, I'm, I still have a part-time HR role for a fintech and we've had, we've got a ton of the guys, the developers have got tattoos. Some of them, well, there was one guy who had numerous facial piercings. It doesn't make a blind bit of difference to how they do their job, but it all comes down to the attitudes of the people in charge. And not one person at that company has ever said, Kirsty, you're in HR. Can you have a word with him about his clothes? I mean, no one cares. Um, and I don't think anybody should care. I mean, quite honestly, even if you're if you're customer facing, as long as you're not sat there in a, you know, a G-string and a pair of flip-flops, because that might be off-putting to somebody, as long as there's no actual nudity, does it really matter? I don't think so. Thank you for listening to The Good Employer Podcast with Emma Del Torto. The Good Employer Podcast is a production of Effective Human Resource Management Limited. It is produced by Molly West. Looking for more advice on how to be a good employer? Check out our website, www.effective-hrm.co.uk to sign up to our mailing list or email us at hello at effective-hrm.co.uk. Want to peek behind the curtain of the show? Follow us at Effective HRM on socials for updates. Like what we're doing? Rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks for listening. And remember, being a good employer starts with you.